0: well, we're getting back to the series we were in before we stopped a couple weeks ago for a short hiatus and vision and everything else. And I'm really excited because I, if you haven't been here before, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And for those of you that were here before, some of you were like, dang it, because <laughs> it's good, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's really hardcore. Uh, we're going through that book. Um, great book. And, and in it, we've really looked at the idea of being stuck in, in, in these moments in life that can basically keep us from the freedom that God wants for each and every one of us. Um, one of, the, one of the, the real main themes of this verse, or of this passage in, in the whole book of Philippians, is these main issues that, that Paul really is approaching, that he's saying, look, there's two main issues that can get you stuck and, and what I would say, if you're taking notes, it's really simple. It's the problems we can't handle and the people we can't stand. It's the problems we can't handle and the people we can't stand. And, 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 and if you look at life and the, and the situations that can get you stuck, it's typically a problem or a person. And it's those two things that I think can really keep us from the freedom that God, would ha- that God has for us. Um, and, and, here, and Paul was no... by the way, Paul was no... Um, novice to these things the people and the problems uh he was stuck in prison awaiting execution from Nero that's a problem I mean that's a big issue Nero was known in fact there was a lumber shortage in the time of Rome because of the amount of crosses that were getting made when you have a lumber shortage in in, in a in a town because of crosses being made you know there's a serious issue He also describes the people that had him stuck. I mean, he was chained to a Praetorian guard that changed every three times a day, 18 inches away from him all day long, 24 hours a day. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's in prison and there are people outside of prison who are mocking him and telling him he deserves to be there. Supposed fellow Christians that are literally trying to stab him in the back and stab his ministry in the back and telling people that were uh, Christians that the churches that Paul had started, that these people were coming in saying, see, Paul doesn't really know what he's doing, he's in prison. I mean, you name it, Paul had, had situations from people and problems. And yet he refuses to be stuck. He doesn't let that lead his life. He looks to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this, he shows us that we need to have the attitude of Jesus the attitude of Jesus as well as the actions of Jesus if we're ever to be free from the moments that try to stick us. And he, he outlines this in, in, in chapters 1 and 2. He says the attitude of Jesus it regards to people as a higher rank than you. It's, if we're going to have that attitude, we have to look at people as if they're a higher rank than us. That's tough. Because I have junior hires. I mean, let's be honest. But if I'm going to treat them as God wants me to treat them, in the attitude I am have, I need to treat them with a rank higher than me. Not that I'm a doormat, but I respect them. And I lift them up. I mean, this, this includes those people in your life that just maybe don't deserve it. But there's not a caveat there. There's not a a subtext where Paul says treat people with the attitude and the mindset of Christ only if they deserve it. I wish that was there. (laughs) Because then that would be easy. No. And then the second, the actions of Jesus were to humble ourselves. Like Jesus did. becoming, Becoming a form of a human, a slave and sacrificed himself on the cross for you and me. Let me just put this in practical sense. Imagine a marriage where attitude sees the other spouse as a higher rank than themselves. And their actions reflect that of what Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, where a husband is literally to die for the wife. To put his life in place and lift her up. That's that's a marriage that's that's out of this world. You don't see a lot of marriages like that. How about a school environment where Christian kids are no longer stuck in their own moments but living with the attitude and the actions of Christ and the lonely and the lost in that school are reached by kids who are living for Jesus and have His attitude and His actions. Imagine a church where people come not for themselves but see anyone who walks through the door as someone that they can potentially or potentially love. They can potentially serve. They can help. We've refused to let church become another thing to be consumed like a movie or a program or, but a place where we can truly live out the actions of Christ and serve those around us. So, as we've been looking at this, I think the question that comes out, well, why don't we just all live this way all the time? What is the moment that sticks us in this so that we can't necessarily do that? And that's what we want to look at today. It's what we would call the idea of selfishness. This is a simple thing. I mean, and honestly, I think we all struggle with this. There is none of us here that is completely 100% selfless. We, we wish we were more, or, we, or maybe you're like me, maybe you wish more people around you were more selfless. If they would be selfless, life would be easier, right? Because then they could serve me. No, <laughs> you know, that's sometimes how we feel. That's how I feel sometimes, but... That's the idea here. So take home truth, and I want to just, we're going to hit this the the whole time here. It's real simple. Take home truth is this. To be free from selfishness, we must seek Christ and die to self daily, living as a sacrifice to those we serve around us. I know that's a mouthful, but we're going to pick this apart. So do me a favor, as we read, we're going to look at, uh, if you could stand up, we're we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 30, and what Paul, and the idea of what Paul talks about here in getting being free from this moment of selfishness that can keep us stuck. The apostle paul says this in verse 12 he says therefore my dear friends have you as always have you I'm sorry as you have always obeyed not only in my presence but now much more in my absence continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose do everything without grumbling or arguing But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, yet not those of Jesus Christ." Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Okay, you may be seated. I know it's a long passage, but believe me, when you chunk it all together, there is a main theme here that Paul is truly talking about. The first thing I would point out, and it just comes straight from that take-home truth, is to be free from selfishness means we need to seek Christ daily. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Literally, continue to seek Christ. Continue to seek him. See, therefore, what he says, I mean, when you look at when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's always there for something before it. So we, we have to remember that therefore, since you have seen, you need the attitudes and actions of Christ. That's all he's been outlining. Since you've seen that, continue to seek him. Continue to seek him. Continue to work out your fear or your salvation with fear and trembling. Every day we are tempted to forget that we need the attitudes of Christ. And so we don't always have his actions. Paul here is just reminding them very simply, you need to look to and follow Jesus. See, we need to remember, and this is important, because a lot of times what we can do is we can religify this, That's just a real simple word that I made up right now. Um, We can religify things. I mean, we make it really silly. Oh, i got to work out my salvation through fear and trembling. We see that as a do-based society, as a very religious understanding of, I need to do more for Christ. No. See, Christianity is not about what you do. It's about who you follow. Literally what Paul is saying, if we take the therefore and we take all the things he's been lining up, it's just trusting Christ more. Yeah, but you don't understand, I I got to trust him more. You've got to work this out. Yeah, but I'm really bad at, yes, that's why you have to trust him more. No, but I can do that. No, you've got to trust him more. That's the working it out. That's not, oh, now I need to go and do something for Christ. No, it's hanging with him. It's being with him. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you see how he... he, We have to see that last part. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. See, the key to being free from destructive attitudes and actions is always found in God himself. If we go to work seeking what we want, we will have a selfish attitude. See, if I, if I go to my job and, and it's, it's about me, then you're going to get you. Does that make sense? If you have a marriage and it's based on what you want, then you will get what you back. You'll never get the attitudes of Christ if it's about you. And your actions will destroy the relationships, the career, everything else around you. See, this can even happen in church. If you go to church seeking what you want or what we want, then we miss the opportunity in seeing Christ move in others and the world around us. See, we live in a society that is very much about what you want. You can have it your way. I mean, has anybody ever sat in the fast food line and waited more than five minutes? Doesn't that just rub you raw? I mean, don't you just want to kill somebody? How about bad service? Do you know who I am? And you just told me to wait? <laughs> no, you didn't. You, you get what I'm saying? I mean, this is the society we live in. That is not Christianity. Christianity in its essence played out as attitudes and actions of Christ who said the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. He was homeless, people. He served. He got to a cross and He did it for you and He did it for me. Not my will. His will be done. This is radical. This is 100% completely different than anything you will experience today. And yet we have a tendency to make church, family, career, everything about what we want. (sighs) Seeking Christ is the difference between a master decision and a moral decision. Now, I know this seems to take a a, a different twist here, but I want you to see this. See, following Jesus has never been about a moral uh, uh, moral thing or making better choices. The truth of morality-based Christianity is still based on me. It's still based on you. What can I do? There's no grace. Kids come out of Christian families all the time where instead of meeting the master Jesus, they were given a bunch of morals and they walk away once they leave the the family because they they, they blew it. You know, the interesting thing is it takes two weeks for a high schooler once they get out of high school and they go into college, it takes two weeks for them to lose their faith completely. Two weeks. Because this is what happens invariably. They leave, they go to the school, and then they get challenged with something. There's a temptation. Maybe there's a party and they get drunk, or or they have an illicit relationship, or something happens where they're tempted and they fall. And this is what they do. The cloak of morality they were wearing is now taken off, and they go, I guess I'm not a Christian anymore. As if Christianity was about something they did or didn't do. And it wasn't about the grace of Jesus Christ, it wasn't about the Master, who is bigger than our mistakes, bigger than our failures. See, morals are easy to fake. It's an external thing. And we can look good and moral on the outside all the while living stuck on the inside because we're only doing it out of selfishness to look good and be good. See, in looking at your attitude and actions of these last few weeks, are you seeking Christ daily? This is a good thing that Paul does, and I don't like it because it's true, but it's whenever we're looking at the idea of is God our master, Paul puts out this measuring rod, which is just insane. And, and I hope you understand the insanity of this because I fail a lot in this. And I'm sure you're like me. If you're a normal human being, you probably do too. See, in verse 14, he says this, Do everything without grumbling, or arguing. The idea is do everything without complaining. It's gongismas. It's one of those words that literally sounds like it, like, like it, 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 it relates to. It's the, the idea of the gong sounding. You know, it's, I can't remember. It's onomatopoeia or something like that. I don't know the English term. But basically it sounds like it actually is the definition. You're just complaining so much. It's like, oh, would you stop complaining? Do everything without complaining or arguing, grumbling. This is the measuring rod. I guess the question is, how how are you doing? Do you do everything without complaining or grumbling? See, we have a tendency to look at the other guy or comment on that gal, or but when we put the measuring rod next to ourselves, how are you doing? Because whenever you seek anything but Christ, you will complain, you will grumble. Uh, how about that how about addiction or pleasure it's so easy to grumble when your master requires you to have more and more and more how about your master if your master is anger and you try and try to get not get mad and you make moral choices but your actions are becoming more and more destructive and you find yourself grumbling throughout your week even good things by the way can, can tempt us away from jesus <laughs> like work Or taking care of a sick family? Ever grumbled about the job that's consuming you? Or complained about church and worship? Even complaining about family which seems, you know, is like a good thing. Family, we love family, but you find yourself complaining about it? Grumbling about it? Maybe, maybe that's your master, not Jesus. See, Paul uses a common picture that those reading this letter would understand. To be free from selfishness means we must die to ourself daily. Verse 15 says this, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And this seems almost like very poetic for Paul, but he's really referencing, as a good rabbi, he's referencing a Jewish understanding here. He's talking about the children of Israel as they grumbled and complained. And there is this really common, by the way, um, Uh, Like I don't know what you would call it, like a, a modern day parable back when in the ancient world, where they would talk about the children of Israel and as God was doing these massive miracle where they were literally walking through the Red Sea from walls of water, just being you know, and they're walking through, and there were those that were walking through who were stepping in the in the mud and slipping on fish, and instead of seeing the miracles, they focused on the mud in between their toes. And they complained and they grumbled. I love what my favorite pastor says. He says, instead of planning their future in the promised land, they had their funerals in the wasteland. See, instead of planning their future in the promised land, they had their funerals in the wasteland. Their their attitude and actions were in direct opposition to the master. They complained, they grumbled, it was all about themselves. See, Paul uses these terms to, 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 to point back to those people who just like you and me had to live their life and choose to follow God and not themselves and, and they chose to follow themselves and they grumbled and they complained and they died in the wasteland. And he says, don't be like them. The words that Paul uses here are really, really awesome. He's actually using temple, temple sacrifice terms of the Jew um, when he says we're to die to ourself it, it 's that the idea of blameless and pure are actual temple terms of a, a offering that they bring that 's pure and unblemished before God that they 're going to slaughter and he says you 're to be that offering pure blameless it 's impossible to be free and have the attitudes and actions of Christ if we are focused on ourselves the truth is, for some of us, our life is headed more for a funeral and not a future with God if we're focused on ourselves. And if you've been complaining or grumbling, that's a good measuring rod to look at in your life. Where have I complained? Where have I grumbled? And you might say to yourself, but there's so much to complain about. I agree. I am right there with you. My wife can tell you I am a champion complainer. I really am, but I'm also really selfish. And I find that I complain and I grumble because my family just doesn't do this because this is exactly how I want it. Or my job is doing this and this is... because it's not how I want it. And, 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 and you know, the, the traffic, hello? Because it's not how I want it. And what? The plane is late because it's not how I want it. Do you see how it all comes back? But I don't have the money in my pocket because I should, because it's how I want it. And my car, because it's how I. It all comes back. The truth is if our focus is on ourselves, then we will grumble and complain. If it's on Jesus, then we will be thankful. We will be thankful. See, we have a God that got up on a cross for you and me, and he suffered and suffered. And he didn't think about himself, he thought about you. And yet it's so hard to even go to work sometimes and think about others. This is, the, this is the God that we have. This is who he puts in front of himself. And he says, you have this attitude. I love what Paul says. This is why Paul says we hold firmly to the word of life. See, that idea is, Christians can be so negative sometimes, can't we? The word of life is literally holding up Jesus, grace in a dark world. And nothing screams more loudly than the light of grace and mercy in Jesus Christ in a dying-to-self Christian. I I heard something recently. There are 100,000 orphans in the U.S., 100,000 orphans. That's a lot. 47 times it says in the scriptures, take care of the orphan. Take care of the orphan. 47 times. Did you know 100,000 orphans, did you know there's 300,000 evangelical churches in the U.S.? If one out of three churches just adopted one orphan, just one, one out of three, we would have no more orphans in the entire U.S., what do you think the New York Times would say the next day on the headlines? What do you think this world would do to that kind of truth? They'd be blown away. Selfless love. Sacrificing. Not me. You. See, to be from, free from selfishness means we offer ourselves as a sacrifice to those around us. This is why he says and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. See Paul gave everything away. He said I counted all as well we're going to talk about that later. I mean the technical term in the theological is crap. I'm sorry, but he says it. That's what it says in the in the scriptures. He said it's all crap compared to Jesus Christ. Everything I have, nothing. He gave it all away for what? To labor for them, for the other. And verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and will rejoice with all of you. Paul uses this temple sacrifice word for a reason. There, and see, in the, in, in the sacrifice, in the middle of the Levitical sacrifice, there was this small cup of wine. It was just this really small cup of wine. And it was used as, as, as in some of those moments where it was a thankful thing. They would take that and they would just pour it on the ground. And they would pour it on the ground, and it would be like a, it would be an understanding of God's goodness being poured out to the, the world around. And he says, I'm just like that little cup. And I'm thinking to myself, Paul, you're the biggest deal of the whole New Testament besides Jesus. You wrote two-thirds of the thing. I mean, the apostle Paul is, you name any pastor theologian, they're going to get in line, they want to see Jesus, but next they want to see Paul. This guy's a big deal. And he's like, I'm just a little cup of wine getting poured on the ground it's amazing but that sacrifice it's i'm sacrificed for you he's in prison but it's not about me it's about you i'm chained to a guard yeah that stinks but please let's talk about what you're chained to and i want to help you think about the church if we were like that to the community around us not so focused on ourselves but focused on the other we would make a difference tremendously the movie that I saw recently, I mean, I'm telling you, man, it rocked me. It's called Dropbox. You guys, some of you have heard about this coming out of Focus on the Family. It's the true life story of, of Pastor Lee in South Korea who just had a burden. He had a, he has a 26 year old son who's never stood up. He can barely open his eyes. He's fed through a, a tube. And, and he had this child and he said, I, I struggled. But then I realized, no, God gave him to me for a reason. And then he started to see all these disabled kids that were dropped off in the streets of South Korea to die when they were babies. And he just started taking them in. He started taking it and he developed this drop box in the front of his church where over 400 babies have been deposited and he's helped save them and put them into homes. And he's himself and his wife have adopted 15 children. Almost all of them have special needs. And we're not talking easy special needs. We're talking really tough special needs. And what I love about the movie is it shows how stinking hardcore it is to raise one and he's raising 15. And he's sitting there going, my blood pressure is 460. And I don't know, and I'm afraid, because if I die, who's going to take care of these kids? Who's going to save the babies? And most of these kids are coming from 13-year-old girls in South Korea. It's true. But this is what it means to sacrifice. This is what it means to live as a Christian in a broken world. Amen? And we should be heartened by this. Sorry, I get a little emotional. (laughs) Paul gets it. His life is just an offering being poured out. Paul is free, he's not stuck. So you too, verse 18, should be glad and rejoice with me. How would this change your day to day? How would this change your relationships at work? How would this change your relationships with your family, with your with your neighbor? knowing each day you were to be a sacrifice to others and not here for yourself. See, sacrifice always leads to practically serving others. It just does. It just does. We're not called to serve everybody, but we are called to love somebody. And that's always in serving. Isn't it simple? Serving is easy. I was a waiter for a long time. And I would have like 20 tables at once, and it was really hard. But you know what? When you serve somebody, they know it. They just do. And when you don't, they'll scream at you. We haven't gotten any service. What's going on here? And we live in a world where people are screaming all around us because no one is serving them in the name of Jesus. Are you going to serve them? This is why Paul brings up Timothy and Epaphroditus. I mean, why, I mean, yeah, it's a long verse that we've been reading, but this is, this is something we need to see. Because Timothy and Epaphroditus are great examples of Christians who sacrificed and served. For everyone, I mean, look at what he says, verse 21, for everybody in the world looks out for their own interests. People are selfish, it's just the way of the world. That's what he says. But not those of Christ Jesus, not Christians But you know that Timothy has proved himself. He doesn't serve himself. He serves Jesus. Timothy passes the attitude test. He has the actions of Christ. And Paul lifts him up. He's a kid. Timothy's a kid. And Paul's lifting him up. He's a teenager. Because when push comes to shove, Timothy sacrificed and said, not my will be done, God's will be done. See, when problems arose and... He served instead of complaining and grumbled. He walked towards people instead of walking away. He washes people's feet. He doesn't step on them. Epaphroditus was the same way. Epaphroditus is a very overlooked character of the Bible. But here's a guy who hears that Paul is in need. And at the church of Philippi that Paul is writing to, they said, we should do something for Paul because in prisons in those days, you, you, you were put in prison and if no one gave you water or food, you died. If no one gave you clothes, you didn't have any. There were many people in prison who were naked. That's why Jesus says when I was naked, you clothed me. Because there's that idea of the prisoner has nothing and no one cares for them. And so Paul is sitting in there waiting and praying, Lord, please take care of me. I need water. I need food. And the people in Philippi say, we should take care of Paul. Who are we going to send? Ah, we can send Epaphroditus. Why? Because he is a servant of the Lord. And they send Epaphroditus with a bag of money. Now, I want you to understand this here. We have Christians being put in jail just for being Christians. Here's a Christian in jail. Do you think the authorities are looking to see who's going to serve this Christian in jail? Probably other Christians. Epaphroditus takes a chance. And he not just serves him and comes and risks his own life to serve Paul. What does he do? He brings a bag of money. That's literally like painting a target on you in the ancient world. A Christian with money? Ooh, that's, that's very tempting. Because I can do anything I want to a Christian. They're not even people. And he does whatever it takes to serve. And in that day, there was a thing going around called the Roman fever. Roman fever. Many people died from it. In fact, it was a plague that swept through Rome and killed many, 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 many people. And as the rich were leaving Rome... In fact, that's one of the reasons why they say Nero burnt down half of Rome was because of the plague. They were trying to get rid of the plague. And in that day, you want to get rid of the plague? Just kill all the people. Burn them. So here we have Roman fever. So Epaphroditus is not only a Christian going to visit another Christian, he's also got a ton of money here to help, and that's dangerous. And then he's going into a town where Roman fever is prevalent. And guess what? He gets sick. He almost dies. But he still perseveres. See the sacrifice and the serving? This is why we have a great tradition in people. And guys, I don't think we have to look to the book of Philippians to see this. We can see this in each other today. I see people and I hear about people who are constantly sacrificing and serving Jesus, and they're doing it with others. So, what does this mean for us right now? I want to read something real quick to you and it's just out of the book of Romans chapter 12 and it's out of the message version but I believe it just practically practically uh, puts this, this idea of what does it mean to sacrifice and serve. Paul says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. It's all about God. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, Place it before God as an offering, a sacrifice. I love that. This is why I love this translation of this passage. Think about it. Wait, wait, you, you just want my work life? Yeah, put it before God. You, you want my time when I'm making dinner? Yeah, put that before God. You want the time when I have to take out the garbage from my parents? Yeah, put it before God. You mean the time that I'm sitting there at lunchtime? Yeah, put it before God. You mean the time I'm sitting in traffic? Yeah, put it before God. Everything, your ordinary life. And then he says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking where everyone thinks about themselves. Instead, fix your attention, your gaze on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Serve. Sacrifice. What has He told you? Seek Him. Love Him and love others. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. It's simple. It's easy. But it'll be the hardest thing you ever do. It's as simple as when you come home from work and instead of going right to the TV or that hobby and getting that me time, <laughs> I'm, I'm all about me time, you go to your spouse, you go to your kids and you sacrifice and you engage them in their wants in their needs. And with the help of Jesus, you seek ways that you can serve your family in the ordinary living. And you know what that means for me? It means doing the dishes. I hate doing the dishes. You know what I found out, though? Doing the dishes is a very manly thing. Don't let anybody tell you it's not a manly thing. You go to any restaurant, and you're going to see a man back there doing the dishes. And they get paid for it. That's right. Best dishwashers in the world are men. I'm going to be sexist about that. Because I've worked in, like, hundreds of restaurants and seen a lot of them. And it's always a man doing the dishes. Just saying. Just saying. So if someone says you're not being manly by doing the dishes, you send them my way. Give them an eye massage. But you know what? That is simple. I don't think there's anything more holy than a teenager taking the garbage out before being asked. there's nothing more holy in worship than in sacrificing their own needs and putting it in front of putting others their parents in front of theirs what if a sibling were to clean the room of the other sibling and they didn't even know it and they didn't do it i'm looking at you teenagers <laughs> think about that you clean your sister's room you clean your brother's room and you don't go in and say by the way i cleaned your room you owe me no just serving them serving them, sacrificing. Why? Because I want to place others ahead of myself. I want to have the attitude and the actions of Jesus, which always leads to sacrifice and service. How about when you're at work and you seem to notice that there is one employee uh, bathroom that just never gets touched. It's the employee bathroom and it looks like it because it's up to the employees to clean it. You know what I'm talking about. And by the way, the employees aren't cleaning it. Maybe there's that one person that's always complaining and grumbling because they're always cleaning it because they're kind of a neat freak and, you know, and everyone laughs and says, Ah, don't worry, you know, Carol will clean it. <laughs> but what if you were to clean it? What about that task that nobody wants to do at work? And it never gets done. And the boss is always saying, come on people, someone volunteer for this. I can't make you do it, but it's got to get done. What if you were the one, instead of complaining and grumbling about it, always did it? And you found yourself having that attitude and actions of Christ and doing the things that nobody seemed to do. The neighbor's yard that never seems to get trimmed and always seems to be out of control and all we do is complain and grumble about it, but what if you were to get over there, roll up your sleeves, and in the, you know where it's almost going to freak them out, but you're out there and you're you're cutting it. And they don't even know it's you. And then one day that you're talking to them and they're like, yeah, someone cut my lawn. And you go, that's awesome. That's great. That's cool. I thought you did it. Hmm." But you're not out to get applause. You just do it because you're serving. And you don't put it in people's face. But you do it humbly and quietly like Jesus did. How about that person that drives you nuts? goes out of their way to offend you, yell at you, and tell you you're a bad person? How about that boss at work that you just can't stand and you really feel like you could have their job because they stink at it. And you can tell me 102 different ways that they stink at it and you're way better than them. Maybe you have an opportunity to tell them that and you don't take it. Or maybe someone that you know that you really don't like, maybe they just lost their job or suffered a big setback in life and it's really tempting for you to go up and smile at them and say, how's it going? Because that's what you really want to do. Oh, I heard you lost your job. Tell me about it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You're just excited. You're excited because they're suffering now and they deserve it. And don't tell me you don't have people in your life that you hope suffer. Don't be. Into, don't, don't. get all religious on me. You're human beings just like me. You have thoughts of people that just, it's tough. Jesus wants you to react with his attitude and his actions. And maybe it's time for you to take that money that you have set aside and pay a bill of theirs. And bless those who persecute you. Pray for those that hurt you. Maybe you can bring them a meal. And they're going to look at you and go, why did you do this? Because I love you. That's huge. Can you do me a favor? Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. It's truly simple. Maybe God's not calling you to put a drop box in front of your house where you receive babies that are discarded. I mean, that's a hardcore thing. And God's maybe not calling you to pack up everything and move to Burkina Faso and work with indigent people who are, are, are literally dying. And I mean, that's, that's sometimes what we do, though, isn't it? When it comes to serving Christ, we think of these big, grandiose things. Really get this simple, please. It's typically the person right next to you. It's the kids in your house. It's the spouse. It's the family member. It's the neighbor. It's the people you work with. It's the route you drive on every day. It's the ordinary sleeping, working life that we offer before God. We are a drink offering to be poured out before Christ what I'd love to have you do is if there's a lot of space in your, in your um, bulletin if you want just write out some practical things that you can do to sacrifice and serve maybe it's your family maybe it's your co-workers this is simple Paul is, Paul is calling us like, like God called I'm sorry, God is calling us not Paul <laughs> I apologize just like he called Timothy just like he called Paul just like he called Epaphroditus and God is writing your story my hope is that you can serve As God is calling you to serve, to sacrifice, die to yourself. To be free from selfishness, we must seek Christ and die to self daily. Living as a sacrifice to those we serve around us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the fact that uh, it's not about us. It's about you living through us. It's not about what we can do. It's about what you've already done. It's not about what we know. It's about who we know. Lord, we thank you that we don't follow some list or some rules or some regulations. We follow a king and have a relationship with the king of kings. The Lord alone. We just want to know You. And we want to give our life to You and be that sacrifice You've called us to be. Lord, many of us here should have a list. And it's not a to-do list. It's a list we want to offer to You. Maybe there are people on this list, Lord. Maybe there are problems on, the, on this list. And we need to say, here, take it. I, I can't do it anymore. And God, that's all you've been asking of us is just to give our burdens to you. Maybe it's that neighbor. Maybe it's that struggle. Maybe it's that job. But God, you've been calling us to do this and we want to give it to you now. Father, give us the strength and the courage to do this in knowing that you are trustworthy and that you have not called us to do more, but just give you our lives. Because you've done it all. And may we be the Christians in this world that serve you, that are selfless. This world is dying and it needs to see that. We thank you. Right now, I want to call the Usher Song forward. This is a time where we as a church family can bring our offering. We don't give, we bring it. We bring our lives to the King of Kings. And this is just a part of it. Our prayer is that we have all of our church family bringing what God has called them to bring. So that we can help meet the needs of not only this community, but those around Lord, we bless this offering time. We bless this time of not just... I, my, my goal here is just so simple, Lord, because I see that this is your goal. It's not that we just bring our, our, our money here, but we bring our lives. We bring our lives that are given to you so that our jobs are different, our lives are different. We are radically changed and people say, what is going on with so-and-so? Is that what Christianity is? We just want to give our lives to you. We bring our offering, our tithes. But Lord, may we bring our calendars. May we bring our work. May we bring our families. And ultimately say, not our will, but yours be done. Right here in our world and on our earth as it is in your heaven. We thank you and we bless you now. In Jesus' name.